0: blessing and today we're going to be finishing up chapter 20 a hope that's fixed in a world that's broken the gospel is God's solution for our fallen world the first part of the lesson today is going to be traditional in terms of the way I usually uh, teach and then about halfway through or before that I'm going to transition and we're going to have a a lot of questions and answers and it's going to be enjoyable and mr. Romano is going to uh, pass around the, the microphone when you answer, and that way everybody will be able to hear each other, be edified, and also it will be able to be um, recorded. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you um, that as your children, we can come before you and say, Abba, Father, and it's such a blessing to be called the children of God. And we, we know that all creation looks forward to uh, that day when it's going to be obvious who your children are. We thank you for the gospel and help us to understand the gospel better today and help us to be motivated in, in our sanctification, which is an aspect of the gospel Uh, growing, uh, Christ-like, being saved in the present, so to speak, from the power of sin. And I pray that we view our suffering uh, in light of um, a motivation for our dependence on you, and we can put our suffering in perspective when we consider the hope that we have that you're going to create new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells. And we'll have glorified bodies, and we'll be able to worship you uh, perfectly at that point. We, we long and yearn for that day. Help us today, um, and I pray that you'll help me to teach so that your saints are uh, edified and encouraged. In Jesus' name, amen. would you agree that the world that we live in is broken evil is everywhere righteousness is rare crime is common poverty permeates natural disasters dominate in certain parts of the world we have global warming global terror and we even have global slavery And this global slavery takes many forms I won't be talking about this this morning but i just want to share something with you that's up to date um, the United States State Department had a briefing on Thursday, June 19th, and, and that was quoted a, a common statistic, and that is almost 27 million people are victims of modern-day <clears throat> modern slavery. And this takes many forms, including forced labor <clears throat> and commercial sexual servitude. This human trafficking is a polluting stench in the nostrils of God. Why is our world falling apart? Is there any hope for fixing this broken world? What is the source of our world's problems? And what is the solution for our world's problems? Our world is falling apart. Why? Because we live in a fallen world. Our world is falling apart because we live in a fallen world. Our world is very bad. In one sense, it's still beautiful because God created it. and It's still beautiful, but it's very bad as we compare it to what? The very good. When God created in Genesis chapter 1, he said it was very good. And our perfect God created a perfect world where he could perfectly care for man and where man could perfectly respond with thankful devotion to his creator. But Adam and Eve sinned. And here is part of what God said to Adam in Genesis 3.17. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it. So man has to work. Work is a gift from God. God planned that before the fall, but now it's going to be a lot harder. It's going to be weeds. And man would have to toil and sweat now to produce food to eat. In this curse, cursed is the ground, this curse extends to all of creation. Please turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 8, verse 22. Romans chapter 8. Verse 22, and what we want to do right here is we're going to look at God's solution for our broken planet, and then more importantly, God's solution for broken people. Romans 8, and we're going to look at 18 to 25. The first thing we're going to do is we're going to look at verses 18 to 22. Romans 8.18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of of the children of God. I'm not going to give an exposition of this scripture. I just want to make a few comments about this. Verse 18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. One of the reasons that we can hang in there now with all the sufferings is because everything we're going to now is a light affliction compared to the, the weight of heavenly glory that awaits us. Because of how great heaven's going to be, that helps us to handle all the suffering that we have now because there's not going to be any suffering in heaven. And verse 19, For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. Creation was cursed, and creation is not what it's supposed to be. Remember in the Garden of Eden? You had beautiful plants. They didn't have, they didn't have poisonous plants. They didn't have things, diseases growing on plants. So creation itself is not able to do what it was originally intended to do. So all of creation is earnestly expecting. Creation is like standing on its tiptoes, just eagerly awaiting. And You know what they're waiting for? The creation wants to be delivered. But guess what? Creation is doing this. They're waiting for this. Waits for the revealing of the sons of God, sons and daughters of God. So with revealing of the sons and daughters of God, at that point, uh, creation, uh, at that point, uh, we're going to... Um, have resurrection, resurrected bodies and we're going to be glorified. And at that point, crea- it, it's going to be evident to all creation who the children of God are. And at that point, creation is waiting for that because that's when creation itself is going to be restored and creation is longing for that. Verse 20, For the creation was subjected to vitility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. So God, God did this to creation. He, he, he cursed it because of Adam's sin. The sin of Adam contaminated, infected the entire universe. Verse 21, because of creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Will be delivered. When, when is that going to happen? This isn't a lesson on eschatology, but right now we're in the church age and then we're going to have the rapture. And then there's a, the rapture of the church. And then there's a seven-year seven period of tribulation. And then we have the second coming of, of uh, Christ, and then we have the thousand year millennial reign, and then we have the great white throne great white throne judgment, and then we have, um, great fire, where everything's going to be wiped out. Heavens and earth are going to be wiped out. And there's going to be a new heaven, and a new earth. And I want you just to turn to First um, Peter, chapter, I mean Second Peter, for, pardon me. Second Peter chapter three, verse ten. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10. And as you're turning there, God's going to wipe out the old and create the new. There's going to be a new heavens and a new earth, and the new Jerusalem is going to come out of heaven. It's going to be awesome. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 10. And notice as I, as I read this, there's also some practical uh, encouragements and the motivations on how we ought to live. Because we know how things are going to end, that ought to motivate us to persevere to the end. Second Peter three ten, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with the great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of the Lord, pardon me, the coming of the day of God, which is actually different, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look, for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Verse 14. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, without spot, and blameless. I'd like you to turn to Revelation chapter 21. We're going to look at verses 1 through 4. Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 4. Revelation, chapter 21, verses 1 through 4. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. And he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There should be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Please turn back to Romans chapter 8, verses 23 to 25. Now, we just saw in Romans chapter 8, verses 19 to 21, we see um, creation groaning. And now we're going to look at verses, I mean, 22, 19 all the way to um, 22. I want to read verse 22. I'll start with that. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth things together until now. I meant to read that with the previous section. What we want to pick on now, uh, uh, focus on now, as verses 23 to 25. So we just read that creation is growing, waiting to be delivered. Okay? How is that possible? Because of the gospel, what Jesus did on the cross. Okay? He's going to make everything right. Verse 23. Not only that, but we also, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves, grown within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope, for why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. I just want to make a few comments here on these, on these verses. Verse 23, not only that, but we also have the first fruits of the Spirit. We've been talking about that. The first fruits, the idea there is that we have a down payment. We have a, a, a pledge. We, have, As Christians, have the first fruits. We have tasted the glories of heaven already. We've seen God working in our life. We've seen his glory, and we, we hunger and thirst Um, for righteousness so we've seen evidence of the fruit of the spirit that we are that we are saved so we have the first fruits of the spirit and we groan within ourselves eagerly waiting for the adoption the redemption of our body Um, when you read that you may be thinking wow uh, eagerly waiting for the adoption now when you're when you are justified when you repent and believe in jesus christ as lord and savior you are justified we'll talk about that in a little bit you are adopted instantaneously into the forever family of God. Right there, you are adopted into the family of God. So what is this talking about when it says uh, eagerly waiting for the adoption? The next part of the verse, the context, explains the redemption of our, of our bodies. Our bodies, we still have a uh, sin nature, and our, body, uh, our physical bodies uh, have a lot of issues. Okay? So we're looking forward to what? A glorified body with no sin, no sin uh, nature, a body where we can worship God in spirit and truth perfectly. That's going to be awesome. We, we are eagerly waiting for that, the redemption of our body. And that's interesting there with redemption, because when you think of redemption, it's in the past. When you were saved, you were redeemed. You are redeemed. And bought the precious shed blood of Christ. We're talking about the future aspect of salvation when it's completed, so to speak, and that is when we're glorified and we'll have, our bodies will be redeemed also. And our text here says we groan. Why, why do you think that we groan? Well, one of the reasons we groan is that we're groaning and longing for how awesome it's going to be to worship God the way we really want to. Right now we groan because of our sin. Paul said, oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? He says, I thank God through Jesus Christ. So we groan because we, as we're growing as Christians, we realize we're not what we want to be. We have a battle uh, against our sin nature. And the, we know we're saved because we're battling that, and our heart's desires, the we hunger and thirst for righteousness, and we groan. We want to be delivered from sin. As you're growing, you're more sensitive to sin, and you hate, you hate sin. We want not be delivered from this. We don't want anything to get in the way of us worshiping God the way that um, God desires. We groan. And then in verse 24, for we are saved in this hope. Don't misunderstand that we're saved by faith. Okay. We're saved by faith, but accompanying faith is hope. And when you think about hope in the Bible, hope is a no-so—it's a no-so hope. And the idea here with hope: we know it's going to happen, but it hasn't happened yet. That's why it's called—that's why it's called hope, because we haven't uh, have—we don't have glorified bodies yet. So we're looking forward to that. And what is the effect of that? Verse twenty-five: But if we hope for what we do not. See, uh, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance, with with, with patience. Um, all the suffering that we're going through now, in our bodies, sickness, disease, tiredness, all the challenges that we face, we're able to persevere because we have a hope, and we're, we we know we're we're uh, heaven bound, and we know that we're going to have glorified bodies, and we're not going to have uh, pain, and sickness. In tears, So knowing where we're headed helps us to pursue practical sanctification right now. Helps us to hang in there and to persevere because of this hope. This section of scripture right here is just one little facet of the gospel. It's one little facet. And the emphasis is not so much on creation groaning. That's just the context. Think about what God's doing for us. You know, remember John, in John uh, 14, where Jesus says, I'm going to prepare a place for you? We read about that. That's coming out of heaven. That's, that's, that's the uh, New Jerusalem coming out of heaven. It's going to be awesome. So that helps us to persevere. It gives us perspective. We see here how just touching on, you know, this isn't a lesson on eschatology, end times, just having a, a little idea about um, the new heavens and the new earth, just having a little idea about that helps us to grow in our Christian walk helps us to put off sin and to put on um, righteousness. And connected with this, I just want to read a few points, a few quotes from the book here. How's the world gonna end? When I mean, people think it's gonna, an asteroid is gonna wipe us out or we're gonna, we're gonna blow ourselves up, um, doesn't mean we, need, we of course need to be careful and be good stewards and apply the biblical truths and, and gospel principles to all these different issues that we've been facing. But God is in control. He created the world. And he's going to destroy it as we know it, so to speak. And, re- and recreate it. And here's a quote from the book. The creator is playing precisely how and when this world will end. I'll take comfort in that. And neither global warming nor global terrorism will be to blame. Just as with the flood, the final destruction will be God's doing. This earth will not last forever, but a new earth will be created in its place, one which will last forever, because it will never be touched by sin. We begin this chapter we'll reading the end, so I'll go to read the first sentence. We begin this chapter by noting that the world is broken. Even unbelievers recognize this fact. But the solution cannot be found in science, politics, philosophy, or any other human endeavor. Like those who put bandages on cancer? Sinners err when they focus on temporal and material fixes for eternally significant spiritual problems. The reality is that our broken world cannot be fixed until God creates a new one. The reality is that our broken world cannot be fixed until God creates a new one. Nor can the broken hearts of those who inhabit our world be fixed until God gives them a new heart. Thus, the gospel of Jesus Christ is the only lasting hope that our world has. Not an uncertain hope, but one that is completely sure, secured by God Himself. We're going to transition now in to the gospel, and what I want to do is ask a lot of questions, and off the top of my head I can think of about 40 questions to ask about the gospel, so we're not going to go through all those, but I want to ask a lot of questions, and the sequence of questions will probably uh, be determined by your answers, and Armando's going to help me out with the microphone, so this is an unusual way we're going to do this, we're going to really have a lot of interaction here. I trust God for that. And I'm going to ask some questions, and I'd like you to answer. And, and Ramon will pass the microphone for you so that, you're, that can, be, we can we can hear each other and also hear the recording. And then also you can ask questions also about the gospel. So the first question is this. What is the gospel? What is the gospel? You can you give a brief answer to that? What is the gospel? Also, as a side note, I know some. I'm going to draft or volunteer some of you. Um, if you don't raise your hand. Okay. So, what is the gospel? Mr. Kamo is going to answer that question. Thank you, sir, for your bravery. All right. Uh, the gospel means good news.
1: It's uh, the fact that men, all of mankind, can be reconciled to God through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Yes. And so, by repentance and faith, and by believing that God will forgive sins, and that you're ungodly, and that God will forgive sins, which is to me, that's good news. I mean, we're we're separated from God. There's wrath of God upon us, which is part of the gospel. Um, and that's, that's the bad news of the good news. And the good news is that God can
0: forgive all sins of any types if we come to him in faith with repentance. Excellent. Minister sermonette I like that that's a good answer. And one thing you mentioned, um, it's good to memorize a one-sentence or two-sentence uh, definition of the gospel. When I think of the gospel, the gospel is the good news of salvation, the forgiveness of sins by repentance and faith in Jesus Christ, death, burial, and resurrection. Thank you for that answer, and one, and, uh, one of Steve's uh, points was the bad news. So what is, and you touched on that, what is the bad news, and why is it important to talk about the bad news before you go to the good news when we're sharing the gospel with people? What is the bad news?
1: That sinners are destined for hell and there's nothing they can do about it. Can't save themselves.
0: I agree. The bad news is that we, we're, we're headed for hell. I mean, that's really bad news right there. We can't save ourselves. That's the bad news. We're sinners. And the Bible says the wages of sin is death. Okay? So we've earned, we've earned hell. So that's the bad news, is that sin leads to hell. So we need to have our sins forgiven. What is the purpose of the law? You think about the law and the gospel What is the purpose of sharing the law How does that connect With the gospel Sharing the, the law, the ten commandments With um, an unbeliever how does, how does that fit in That kind of harkens back to uh, the way of the master Thanks Amy You're right there
2: We wouldn't have known sin apart from the law. So, um, like, you wouldn't know that the good news is good news unless you saw comparatively what the bad news is. So, um, like, any adjective is a comparison. God is good, good compared to us, especially. Um, Like, when we feel like we're good, um, based on when we look at each other, we say, oh, I'm better than this person. But then when you see God's law, and what His standards are, then you realize you're not better than that, and you need someone who did fulfill that perfectly when you couldn't.
0: Yes. Thank you, Amy. The law, God doesn't grade on a curve. We have to forget about that. God doesn't grade on a curve. His perfect standard is righteousness, 100% perfection. You have to be holy, and perfectly holy to go to heaven. And none of us is holy. And that's why we need the holiness of Jesus Christ and our sins forgiven. And we get the holiness of Jesus Christ when we believe, believe in him for salvation. So the law shows us that we're lost and we need a Savior. Okay? The law shows us that we're lost and that we need a Savior. Piggybacking on that, yes, Romano? I
1: go over to law it, it exposes their hearts it shows them just how sinful they really are and they don't realize that until you actually they actually look at the law so I always tell people you know the laws there are not just to show you how to live you know how to do good and bad but it's really there to expose
0: your heart and show your need for Christ thanks Romano the Bible says in Galatians 324 Galatians 324 that the law is a schoolmaster or tutor to bring us to Christ that we can be justified by faith in the Holy Spirit uses the law to bring conviction of sin and godly sorrow for that, for that sin. What is godly sorrow over your sin? What is godly sorrow or contrition?
3: I know when I was uh, convicted of sin through the law that, uh, and I couldn't do anything about it, that it drew me to Jesus. There was no other way. And I believe the uh, godly sorrow is my sin, that I'm still a sinner, but I have hope. But uh, the godly sorrow is that I can't worship him the way that I want to now. But will, in glory.
0: Thank you, Miss Black. Um, that really ties in with the Romans 8. We have we groan and connected with that as we have godly sorrow because we we're held back, so to speak, because of our sin nature and we can't worship God at, uh, 100%. That's our goal, though we're striving toward towards that. And with respect to uh, salvation, godly sorrow, a person realizes I've sinned against this wonderful God. So godly sorrow leads to repentance. Godly sorrow leads to repentance Second 2 Corinthians chapter 7 uh, verse 10. Godly sorrow leads to repentance. What is repentance? How does that fit into the Bible. What are are we uh, repenting of? There's a lot of answers to that, but what is uh, repentance? Turning
1: around, a change of
0: direction? Turning around, or change Change of of direction?
1: We were heading in the wrong direction, and the Holy Spirit comes inside and turns us around and points us in the direction toward God.
0: Yes. I like the turning around because when you explain that, some people learn visually when you're explaining it to a kid, even to an adult, repentance is turning around. It's a spiritual U-turn. It's a spiritual U-turn. And sometimes when you're talking to somebody, you can get visual and you can tell them you're going in the wrong direction. You're heading this way towards hell, and you're doing a U-turn, and you're embracing Jesus Christ. So it's a spiritual U-turn. And you're turning from sin to embrace in faith the Savior. Repentance. Now, imagine this. Imagine somebody thinks that they can earn their way to heaven by being a good person. And they hear the, they come to Calvary Baptist Church and hear the gospel preached. And they realize you can't. We're saved by grace through faith. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. So that person right there, they walk in these doors and they think they can earn their way to heaven. They may say, I believe in Jesus, but Jesus plus being a good person. That person, what do they need to repent of specifically if they're going to get saved and walk out those doors, you know, a new creation in Christ? What do they need to repent of? Romano.
1: Not trusting in Jesus alone.
0: Right. They need to repent of, they need to turn from trusting in themselves, the sin of that, and embrace Jesus Christ alone. That's very important. Alone. You have to trust in Jesus Christ alone 100%. Or it's not biblical belief when we talk with people, we gotta ask them questions and see what they're really uh, trusting. That's not idolatry because you're uh, trusting yourself to do what only God uh, Amy asks, is that idolatry? Um, because you're trusting in yourself instead of what God can do? That's a good question. It's so good, I'm not sure how to answer that. But I do want to transition from your question, though. And one of the things that a person needs to repent of is being in charge of their life. Before a person is saved, they're in charge. They're the Lord of their lives. They're in charge. I do what I want to do. So you're actually king. You're Lord of your life. And when you come to Jesus Christ in saving faith and believe in him as Lord, you repent of being the Lord of your life. Instead of you being in charge, you're saying, I'm, I surrender all to Jesus. He's my master. He's Lord. So you repent of you being in charge, and you believe in Jesus as Lord, and he is going to be um, in charge. So intertwine with that, with the idolatry. It's coming to me now a little bit. With idolatry, before, before you're saved, you're basically worshiping yourself It's part of it. You're worshiping yourself, and you want to do what you want to do, and you're not submitting to God. Idolatry is anything that you put above God. And when you come to Jesus Christ in salvation, you, uh, instead of worshiping yourselves, it's, a, it's, it's shocking to think about it like that, but that's what's going on. Instead of worshiping yourselves, you bow the knee. You're going you're to you're worship uh, Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. He's going to be uh, number, number one. And connecting that, when He's not number one and you're acting foolishly and you're sinning, you'll have godly sorrow and you'll feel very bad uh, that you're not submitting to the Lord. And as you grow spiritually, you're more sensitive. Something that doesn't even bother someone else, a new Christian, that's a, it takes time. But you've been a Christian for 10 years, something that someone else doesn't even think is sin, to you is backsliding. And that's a sign of, uh, that you're growing more sensitive and the Holy Spirit's doing that. And that's good because you're more sensitive to sin. And then you can, you can put it off and mortify it and kill it so that you can grow as a Christian and you have real joy in that and God's glorified This kind of goes back to what we were talking earlier. But um, Jesus is Savior. What does Savior mean? It's very basic, but some of the basic questions, if you could think about and answer clearly, that will help you to examine yourselves and also help you when you're sharing the gospel. So Jesus is Savior. The question is, uh, what does that mean?
3: Um, Jesus is the one um, who saves us from the wrath of God and his judgment because of our
0: sin. Jesus saves us from the wrath of God. That's interesting because it reminds me of um, R.C. Sproul's in Philadelphia, and a person you know, would come up to him, are you saved? Are you saved? And, and, and then uh, R.C. Sproul asked the person, you know, saved from what? And the person who was out there doing evangelism didn't really know the answer to that. It's kind of crazy, isn't it? Uh, you think about being saved from sin, but, but listen to this. Think about the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We're actually saved from the penalty from sin, from the penalty from sin. Jesus is a Savior from sin. Jesus saves. We're actually, the, the, the wrath of God abides on, on an unbeliever. So we're actually saved from the wrath of the Father when we believe. We're saved from the wrath of the Father. How... Yes, you... Have. Three one is Can you wait one second? I'm going to get the microphone over here. And that way, this will be re- recorded. No pressure. We just want everybody to hear it. And uh, Mr. Camo is about to get into the three aspects of salvation. And this is fascinating. And it, it, you have to, It's really important. I want to steal your thunder, but it's important to understand what uh, I trust that Steve is going to say. And understanding your Bible. People don't, un- don't un- understand the three aspects of salvation misinterpret the Bible and come up with all kinds of crazy stuff. So this is, this is important. So go ahead. Yeah, we, we,
1: and we, we touched on the first part, which is the salvation from the wrath of God, the rescuing of that wrath of God that's on us. So that's a a, a, a past tense. Um, we're also saved from, or look, some people say, the penalty power in the presence of sin. Mm-hmm. So... Um, Right now, we have been, those who are born again, trusted in Christ as their Lord and Savior, uh, and repented of their sins, uh, we're saved from the penalty of God's wrath. But then, as we grow in our sanctification, we're saved from the power of sin in our life. So, that's a, another aspect of salvation. And then there's also a future salvation when we're actually saved from the presence. So, we're saved from the penalty, the power, and the presence. So, when we reach. Uh, uh, the other shores, the eternal shores, where we spend uh, eternal life with God in his presence. Um, and that's the salvation that's just, you know, all the sin is just laid behind us. There will be no sin. Uh, you know, indwelling in us, we'll have new bodies, new minds, uh, new affections. Um, and that's really just, that's the great, sal- to me, that's like, the, uh, well, it's all great salvation. But it's uh, saved from the actual presence of sin. We just don't have to deal with that anymore. To me, I'm just looking forward to that because... You just want to say, oh, you know
0: that was a that was an audible groaning so thanks that um, I'd like to say when I first learned that it was such a blessing to, to learn and have the light bulb come on to understand that it just fill my heart with joy to learn about uh, salvation in the past the present in the future and when the term is usually used, we talk about salvation, normally people are referring to the past. And what's interesting is you can link different theological terms with that and even get more understanding because we're saved from the penalty of sin in the past and we call that justification, okay, saved from the penalty of sin. And then in the present, we are being saved See how, do you see how someone could misunderstand that if you not explain it? You're, we're being saved in the present, being saved, being delivered from the power of sin uh, in our lives, and that's called progressive sanctification. It's progressive because we're we're growing, we're becoming more like Jesus, and also in the in the future we're going to be saved from the very presence of sin, and that connects with what we're talking about today. That's called glorification. Glorification. So we have we have sanct- we have justification, sanctification, and Uh, Glorification, and not to throw a a little monkey wrench in there, but sometimes you could use the word sanctification to cover all those also. Not going to get into that, but that'll help you when you're reading your Bible when it talks about past sanctification, present in the in the future, you can see that, and there's a connection between all that, and that'll help you study your um, Bible. What is um, justification? Since we mentioned that, and <clears throat> there has been a greater under, before you answer there's been a greater understanding and appreciation of justification over the last twenty years, in the in the evangelicalism, and it's been a big blessing to the church. Justification, it's a big word, but these big words are, are important, and it's really at the uh, <coughs> integral part of the gospel. So, what is justification? Rob's going to uh, answer that.
1: Give me a second. Let me think. That's fine. So, uh, because of Christ's uh, atoning death, um, we are seen as legally righteous, even though we are still sinners, and we are also. And uh, maybe this isn't. uh, This is a supplication, but we're also treated as as righteous.
0: Uh, Thanks, um, Rob. The main part of his answer was that uh, when we're we're saved, God declares us legally uh, righteous. Even though we still sin, he teaches us legally righteous, and that's legally righteous, and that is called positional. Um, We're we're seen as positionally righteous. Don't let that throw you off. Positionally means when God uh, looks at you, he looks at you because we're clothed in the righteousness of Christ. He looks at you as if you perfectly obeyed the Ten Commandments. Isn't that awesome? So Jesus' perfect life. We sing about Jesus' blood and his righteousness, and his righteousness has to do with his perfect life because he never sinned. When we believe, God can be just and the justifier, the one who has faith in Jesus. God is just in the, in the very way he forgives us because we're clothed in the righteousness of Christ. You have to be perfect perfect to go to heaven, and God can say, come on in, because I see you as perfect, because I see you wrapped in, in Jesus, uh, wrapped in his. So it's positional, even though God treats us as if we haven't sinned, uh, even though we we have sinned, and that's that is a a blessing. And the term "legal" that's that gets into some theology there, but it's uh, God, uh, the just legally, the just judge of the universe. Okay, when you when you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, he you could say he slams down the gall so to speak, and he says not guilty. He says not guilty. And the next question is this is great i'm having fun doing this hope y'all enjoying it um not guilty how how can the father say not guilty he can't just wink wink at sin how can he he uh, sin has to be taken care of how can he how can god say not guilty to someone who believes in jesus christ as lord and savior mr johnson
1: the penalty for our sin was paid by christ on the cross
0: Yes, the penalty for our sin was paid for Christ on the cross. On the cross, Jesus Christ, when he he died for our sins, he took the punishment. He took the punishment for our guilt. We're guilty, and he's our substitute. He died in our place and took our guilt. So we broke the law, and he paid the fine. We are guilty, and he paid for it. So when we believe, God can declare us um, not guilty. There's another side of the justification, in, in and that, that, is, that is this. Jesus, though he never sinned, he never sinned. On the cross, Martin Luther says, God, God treated Jesus as if he is the worst sinner that ever lived because all the sin of all those who would believe was laid on Jesus. Um. So even though Jesus did not sin, God the Father poured out his wrath on Jesus on the cross. As Jesus became sin, the Bible says. Not a sinner, but he became sin. He, is, he took that penalty. He absorbed it. He was a propitiation. We may not get into that, but uh, that's an important term also. So that's the greatest exchange there, there ever was. And that is our unrighteousness goes on Christ. He pays, pays the penalty. And his righteousness goes to us, and it's very important to understand this to be able to explain the gospel. When you, when you have you had a study of this where you can explain it, when you explain it to people, they're hearing, most people never have heard an explanation uh, you know, of, uh, of when you talk with them. And um, even before a person is saved, even in their natural sense, just pure logic, it starts to make sense. Then God, God can use that, and he can turn on the light bulb you know, with, that, with that knowledge.
1: No, I was just going to ask, uh, add what you already said about the imputed righteousness of Christ that's added to our account. So, per Christ's perfect life, God sees his perfect life given to us. It makes us righteous.
0: Thanks, Dan. The word imputation, don't let that throw you off. Imputation, how do you explain that to a six- or seven-year-old? Credited. It's credited to our account. In other words, when a kid takes a test and they make a hundred. That's an A-plus, and, and what well, you can tell when you explain this to a kid, Jesus scored A-plus, scored 100 on obedience to the Father. So when you believe God can treat you as if you perfectly scored A-plus, and it's transfer, it's imputed, and that's a biblical term, so let's use it. Uh, imputed, credited, accounted uh, to our to our spiritual account, so to speak. Uh, Roy? Um,
1: I, I think... Uh, I like the way Paul put it in Colossians two, uh, thirteen and 14. He says there, When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions. And I love this part. He says, Having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross.
0: Yes. Great way to doesn't that fire you up thinking about it? Colossians 2.14, nailed it to the cross. When they put people on the cross uh, during that time in history, they had put, like, what, what is their crime? They put it above the cross. So you can think about this. Now, Jesus, never. he never, uh, it was the greatest crime ever committed by man to put him on the cross, by the way. But that was the, but God worked that for good. But uh, <clears throat> on that certificate, the sin of, of, of all who would believe. And also you mentioned there that God made us alive. God made us um, alive, and Jesus said in John 3, unless one is is born again, he cannot even see the kingdom of God. So here's a question. Um, Can a person who is spiritually dead believe in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior? The answer to that is no. A spiritually dead person cannot believe. So, when the gospel is preached, the Holy Spirit uses the gospel to effectually call all the elect. In other words, a person is dead. What the Holy Spirit does is this. He regenerates them. The gospel is being preached. He regenerates them, makes them alive. And it's like when Jesus said to Lazarus, Lazarus, come forth. And immediately he came forth. So regeneration actually precedes faith. We're not going to get into that too much this morning. Some of you all understand that. Some, some of you may not. It may boggle your mind. But it's instantaneously. We can take the edge off and say it happens at the same time. But there's an order of salvation. And a person is made alive. And then immediately before they were spiritually deaf, now they can hear. They were blind and now they can see. And they can see lovely the other ways of Christ. A person is born again uh, through the preaching of the, of the gospel. The Holy Spirit gives a person a new heart. And then immediately, immediately, that person is able to, by God's grace, to repent and believe in Jesus Christ um, as their Lord and Savior. <clears throat> what does it mean to believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? What does it mean? Um, to believe. And as you answer that, you can use uh, synonyms also. What does it mean to believe in Jesus as your Lord um, and Savior? I'm sorry, ma'am. I don't know your name. Julie, okay. Thanks for raising your hand. Julie's going to tell us what it means to believe.
3: Um, for me, uh, the way I put it is, Believing that life is worthless um, and completely meaningless um, had he not saved us. Because we would be dead. We might as well just go to hell right now.
0: I want to ask, uh, Julie, thanks for that answer. I want to ask a few questions. Um, Part of your answer, that sounds like a motivation to believe. When you believe uh, in Jesus, do you you think of... um, and do you all think of uh, placing your, your faith in Jesus in trusting in him in his death, burial, and resurrection? So that, that's really where uh, what, I'm, what I was looking for there. But I understand what you're saying. To believe um, is to uh, put your faith in, um, to put your um, um, trust in. And that's connected to what, what you said, Julie, because everything else is... Um, is nothing compared the importance of putting your belief and your faith and your trust in Jesus to save you um, from your sins.
3: When I get the opportunity to um, share with people, whether it's strangers or family members, uh, I always, uh, you know, people will always say, I believe in Jesus, you know, and so I have to dig deeper because, you know, the Bible says that even the demons believe and they tremble. So it's not this intellectual belief knowing in your head, but it's actually trusting in Jesus as Lord and Savior. So and him alone, not going to church, not reading your Bible, not praying, not doing good works. And so um there's a big difference between belief and believing you can believe in jesus intellectually but then when you believe on jesus which the bible uses that term uh, or even the bible uses where it says believe him well jesus is the word the bible is the word so you have to not only believe in him and what he did for you but also that his word is true which means you Uh, you need to obey it so if there's some sin in your life that um, you're glued to because you love the darkness then and you say well that doesn't this bible does not apply to me because you know that was written by many men many years ago then there's a uh, there's a disconnect there so so it's believing on jesus alone for your salvation not just in your head
0: Thanks, sweetheart.
2: Well, I agree with Michelle with what she said. Like, um, it's difficult, the concept of believing, like something like a concept of love or hope because they're abstract. But I think in a practical way, when you say that you believe in Jesus, like Michelle said, a lot of people have the misperception that they believe and can intellectually understand that Jesus was a person and some, some sort of really great person. So I think believing in Jesus as a christian becomes when you like you had said before you recognize that the direction of your life the way that you're living your life there's something wrong with it and so you turn you turn to god and so then he when we say believe on jesus as your lord and your savior we understand that he is saving us from our sin even at the at the smallest sense we understand that we are sinful and that he is saving us from our sin and the direction of our life but then practically as lord we have to understand who is Jesus who is this this person that lived well he says that he is god and so then our lives need to worship him and by knowing him better we understand who he is what he has said and when we love him and we love him we show our love towards him in our obedience to him so that is like a practical way of believing in Jesus Christ you know him you love him and so he calls you to obey so you obey and you regard his words as now the new direction of your life
0: thanks Shay Before I was saved, I believed in my head that Jesus was God, that you can't earn your way to heaven, but I wasn't saved because I did not believe in my heart, and I can tell in hindsight, um, I learned, looking back at my life, I learned, and I could see um, a difference, and that is you can't just believe in your head. You have to believe in your heart, and the Bible says that. In Romans 10, 9, uh, we confess Jesus as Lord. And also, those verses talk about believing in our heart unto righteousness. And salvation is of the Lord. God has to give you a new heart. If we had more time, I'd like to, I'd like to explore, do you have to believe Jesus as Lord to be saved? It's a hot button for mine. I get righteously angry. Very upset when anyone messes with the gospel and they say that you don't have to believe in Jesus as Lord. The Bible is emphatic on that. In Romans 10, 9, it's one of the best verses. And that's not works. God gives you the ability to do that. It's a work of God that you confess Jesus as as, um, Lord. And you do make a commitment by God's grace uh, to follow him and to love him. Not only do you want to avoid hell, that's a good motivation, but that's just part of it. You do want to avoid hell. God uses that. But even more important, you want to follow Jesus. Lovely are, are the ways of Christ. And you want to love him and, and obey him um, because he's, he's beautiful and he's God. And that's what real happiness is. Thank, thanks, Dan.
1: Yeah, Brian, I have a question. Uh, When I was a police officer, I was sharing the gospel with another police officer. He asked me a really good question. He said, how will I really know that I really believed? So I'll ask you the same question.
0: That's a good question, and that's one of the reasons I'm here at Calvary Baptist Church, is that Pastor Bobby, in his preaching, makes it very clear, almost in every sermon, what a true believer looks like. And it's very important. Okay, That's what real preaching does. Is that it shows you what a true believer is. There's people that go to churches; they don't have, they're not, uh, they're, they're never challenged. This is what a new believer, this is what a believer looks like. Examine yourselves. If this isn't you, and you repent and get saved today, it's very important. So there's many different things. What is the most important thing? Hungering, thirsting for righteousness, especially the Bible. That is the acid test. I can tell where someone's at spiritually. By the way, when you go to the doctor, he says, how's your appetite? If, you, if you're not eating, if you, have, you, know, you like to eat, most people, you haven't eaten two, three days, there's a problem. And if someone says they're a Christian, they'll have a hunger and thirst to read the Bible, there's a problem. Now, sometimes they may not feel like it, but you love the Word of God. That's how you get to know God. So the most important thing is you have a love for the Bible. And sometimes you may not feel like reading it. You may not always be fired up, but you pray to God, help me to be fired up about this because it's this the key to growth. We're saved by the, the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. We're saved by the Bible. How do you grow? You read the Bible and you, and you pray it. So the most important thing is uh, a, a, a love uh, for the Bible. And also, as Pastor Robbie mentioned last week and Jonathan Edwards, holy affections. You have holy affections for God, things that you used to hate, now you love. God did it. In in, in certain sins, some go away uh, immediately, and some you may struggle with the rest of your life. So you love God and His Word. You love to come to church. You love to pray. You may you love to pray for long periods of time. Sometimes you like to share the gospel with people. Tell people, hey, I was lost and and I I got saved. Jesus can save you too. Um, Perseverance is another one. You hate your sin. And what are some other things? And we're, uh, we're, we're out of time, but um, a couple other things. You do hate, hate your sins. Things that you used to love, you, you hate now. He had saving belief. The thief on the cross had saving belief because Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. So that, that is, that is um, amazing um, right there. The thief on the cross talking about nothing in my hands I bring only to the cross I claim. He had nothing uh, to bring. He, and he, uh, we know based on what Jesus said that uh, he repented and believed. But don't put off salvation. People say, oh, wait. You can't wait because you never know when your last day is. We're going to end... Uh, in a moment, do you, you want to have another point? Thanks. Um, I didn't mean to cut you off there. I just want respect, to uh, respect time. It's hard, it's hard to stop sometimes, isn't it, when we're having fun? Um, I encourage you to read the rest of Romans. I was going to read that in closing, but for time I won't. But the rest of uh, Romans there, in ch- uh, chapter 8, just start with verse 26 and go all the way. Um, to the end Um, I think it was helpful for us to ask the questions and to hear each other's answers it's very encouraging to me me to hear the answers and that we're learning here uh, together and it's a a blessing let's pray Heavenly Father uh, thank you for the gospel help us to understand um, the gospel uh, better uh, so that we can live our lives according to the gospel, help us understand the gospel better so that we can um, be able to share more clearly in our uh, evangelism, and help us understand the gospel better. We didn't touch on it today, Heavenly Father, but understand how the gospel and biblical truth and principles apply to all these things we've been learning the last uh, 20 weeks, Help us to uh, be the salt and and the light as we apply these things. Um, Thank you so much um, uh, for today, and uh, help us to grow and be the people you want us to be. In Jesus' name.